This morning's reading is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Beth. Thank you, Stephen, for your welcome. It's very good to be with you this morning. So as we, as we sit or as you are at home, shall we pray? Lord Jesus, we have one simple prayer today that you would speak your word to us. And come, Holy Spirit, open our ears to hear that word and live it out in our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, early this year, back at the end of the summer holidays, um, it was a bit of a hot day. It was one of those sort of days in late summer where you just still needed to put a bit of suntan cream on, you know, carry some water around with you. And uh, we just got back from holidays and the, the garden was looking a bit sort of tired. And so we went out to the garden center um, to buy one or two things. And uh, there it was, as I wandered around, still sweltering in the kind of late summer sun, there it was, out of the corner of my eye, I saw the Christmas section. <laughs> Santa, reindeer, fake snow, everything else, it was all there. And uh, this was September the 2nd. And it struck me as one of those things, isn't it? It's a kind of truism that Christmas tends to come earlier every year. And I guess within our sort of secular culture, Christmas kind of starts at the beginning of September, kind of ends on the 24th of of, uh, of December, doesn't it? Um, I'm one of those people, very annoying people. If you see me on Boxing Day and you say, did you have a nice Christmas? I will say to you, no, no, it's only just begun. We've got 11 days to go yet. That's kind of the way it is. But I know I'm kind of fighting a bit of a losing battle with this whole business of Christmas and the early start. But we do, as Christians, have a way of preparing for Christmas. And it kind of starts today. It is the season of what we know of as Advent. Now, our culture hardly notices a lot of the Christian festivals. We don't really notice Pentecost and Ascension as they go by, but we kind of do recognize us Advent. Why? Because of Advent calendars or Advent candles. Now, everyone got to do an Advent calendar this year? Okay, a lot of those do Advent candles. Okay, most people do some of these things. Well done. I don't know whether you do. I was looking at the other day with the kind of things you can get. You can get the Where's Wally Advent calendar. You can get the Nivea 24 Days of Skin Treatment calendar. 
You get pet products for dogs, little treat for your dog every day. You can get the rare whiskey advent calendar for about a thousand quid or the Larkenberry jewelry advent calendar, which gives you a new earring, necklace, bracelet or ring. It'll set you back 10,000 quid if you want to buy the most expensive advent calendar there is. Now, of course, Advent has always been traditionally a period of abstinence and fasting, which kind of makes the kind of idea that you get a new present, an even more expensive one every year, slightly missing the point. But what it does say is that Advent, and I want to think about Advent for a moment this morning, Advent is that season where it's not so much about getting something new every day, but it's about learning how to wait. It's about learning how to wait. It's a period where we think about preparing for the coming of Jesus. We think about that long preparation for the coming of Jesus that the Old Testament records and how the people of Israel waited for a, a savior to come. It's about thinking about ourselves as Christians waiting for the coming of Christ at Christmas. But even more than that, and this is what I want to focus on a little bit today, is the waiting that the New Testament invites us to do for the time when Jesus will come again. Because right at the heart of Advent is that this comes to us at this particular time of the year as a reminder that Jesus will come again. It gets us to home back on those promises in the New Testament that just as Jesus came once, as we remember every Christmas, we look forward to the day when he will return again. And on that day, he will, if you like, bring this age to a close. Now, I guess in both the past and the present, we think quite a lot about the end of the world, how this world will come to an end. Maybe in the past, Christians often used to think about uh, Christian people being sort of whisked off to heaven and uh, leaving everything behind in our secular imagination today or in our kind of world we tend to think about the end of the world will happen in when we are choked in greenhouse gases or somehow the whole world overheating through global warming or maybe we think about a meteor hitting the world and wiping out life as it did once for the dinosaurs in the past but the picture we're given in the new testament is not either of those things it's not christians being whisked off to heaven nor is it simply the destruction of all things but we are given a picture of the renewal of all things. That everything will be refreshed and renewed. We read in 2 Peter chapter 3, it says this, in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Not the destruction of the heavens and the earth, but the renewal of the heavens and the earth. The New Testament talks quite a lot about the coming of the Son of Man. The return of Jesus. That this Jesus who ascended to the right hand of the Father will come again in the same way. In our reading from 1 Thessalonians a moment ago, it talks about how the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night when you're not expecting it. And it tells us that this time, Jesus will return not in secrecy and quiet in a, a back corner of the world as he did the first time, but he will come in glory in a way that no one will be able to avoid it. Now, there we have the promise of the New Testament that Jesus will come again to bring this world to an end, to bring righteousness and peace across the whole earth. But if we're honest, it's kind of hard to imagine 
isn't it? It's very hard to imagine a world where righteousness dwells. Today we are hugely conscious of the the deep suffering of people in both Israel and Gaza over what's happened over the last couple of months. I heard just a few weeks ago of a friend of mine who had a cancer diagnosis and probably only has two or three months to live. We are constantly aware in our world of loneliness and poverty and pain. And those things are so much part of our way of thinking and living, it's almost impossible to imagine a world without them. Could we imagine a world without disasters, a world without war, a world without pain, a world without poverty, a world without sadness? It's almost impossible for us to imagine it. Can you imagine a world where the the lion will lie down with a lamb and not eat it? A world with no fear, a world with no tears. Well, New Testament uses a specific word that maybe helps us understand what's going on here. In our reading, it talks about the, the hope of salvation. The hope of salvation. Now that word hope is quite an important one for us. Because when we hope for something, that is very different from planning for something. Now planning is what we do all the time. Statisticians, economists, futurologists, they plan for the future. And that's kind of what you do. You study what's happened in the past and you extrapolate from what's happened in the past to what's going to happen in the future. And so you kind of predict what the future will be on the basis of past trends. That's kind of what we do all the time. But hope is something different from that. Because hope expects something entirely new. Something you could not predict based on the trends of the past. Hope is something which, by definition, you cannot get your head around. Now, there are two images that our passage uses that, again, maybe helps us to understand what this is all about. The first one is the the image of a new day dawning. Occasionally, you might uh, wake up in the middle of the night and you... um, Maybe it's three o'clock in the morning and you look outside and there's the street and there's a sort of street lamp just shining a little pool of light around it. And uh, imagine for a moment, that's all you knew about light. All you knew of light was just that little pool of light that a street lamp shows in the darkness. And then imagine someone's kind of come to you and says, look, what you've just seen is just a tiny little picture of what will be because in a few hours time the sun will rise and the whole of what you see will be flooded with light now I guess if you'd just seen the little pool of light from the street light you could not imagine what it would be like for the whole world to be flooded with light in that kind of way you'd seen something but it would be hard to imagine the real thing second image that's used in our reading was that of a a pregnant woman, a woman in labor. Uh, I remember the birth of our first child. And if you've uh, been privileged to have a child, I guess you'll relate to this experience. And I remember going through all the preparation. You know, we went to the antenatal classes, read the books, you know, prepared for the big day, bought the nappies, bought the clothes, got the room ready and everything else. And you kind of prepare for this thing. But no, no one can really tell you what it's like until you actually hold a baby in your arms and look at it and care for it and nurture it in those early months and 
years of their life. You can think about it as much as you like, but no one can really prepare you for it. Now that is what hope is. Hope is knowing that something will come, knowing that it's going to be amazing, but also knowing that you cannot describe it or even imagine it. Hope is expecting for something new. You could not have predicted resurrection on the trends of the past. That was something entirely new. And that's the same as the hope that we have for the coming of Jesus. Yes, we can't imagine it, but of course we can't imagine it. That's the nature of hope. The nature of hope is expecting something that you know is somehow going to be amazing, just like expecting that a child will be amazing, but never quite being able to describe it. You may know uh, the American novelist Marilyn Robinson in uh, her wonderful novel, Gilead. Uh, It's a novel about a a pastor in the Midwest in the the US. And there's one point in that story where the pastor says this, and it's it's like a diary he writes, and he says this. He says, "Um, this morning I've been trying to think about heaven, but without much success. Mind you, I don't know why I should expect to have any idea of heaven, because I could never have imagined this world if I hadn't spent almost eight decades walking around in it. So just as a baby would find it almost impossible to imagine this life, so in the same way, we find it almost impossible to imagine the next life, the day of the coming of Jesus, the new heavens and the new earth. The point about them is that they are new. Now we can begin to glimpse it, and we glimpse it in those experiences that we have from time to time of utter joy, those moments when you see a amazing sunset or when you're with close friends that intimacy and joy that comes from just being with people that you love it maybe comes from those moments when you achieve something that you've been longing for for years in the Christian church every now and again we see people being healed from their sickness we find people discovering the joy of knowing Christ we see justice coming we just just get those little moments And they just give us a hint of what it would be for this world to be full of healing and joy and justice. And so there is a proper agnosticism that we have about our future destiny, the new heavens and the new earth. It's why we have to use our imagination. It's why sometimes perhaps we need our artists and poets when it comes to this, rather than our scientists and our logicians to help us. So this is what is at the heart of Advent. Advent teaches us to hope. It teaches us to expect something that is going to be absolutely amazing, even though you can't describe it and can't imagine it. It tells us that we are people, we Christian people, are people who are waiting for something. That's who we are. We're often described as that in the New Testament. We are waiting for something. And because we're waiting for something, we are not yet satisfied. We don't have yet all that we want or desire. Now, what difference does this make for us? And I want to just highlight two things that this promise of Advent gives us. Number one, it teaches us to wait with contentment. When you open your 
advent calendar or when you light your advent candle, what it's doing and what the whole idea of those things is to teach you to wait. You wait. You don't open door 24 on the 1st of December when your kids might because they want to get the chocolate. But you try to do that thing of every day, one more door, one more step. It's waiting. Christians are people who are waiting for something. But we do that in a world where waiting is really difficult. There's so much in our contemporary life that breeds impatience. We have these devices in our pockets that can instantly tell us what we want to know. We haven't got to wait to find out stuff, we just look it up. All the time, we are given things that give us instant information, distraction, everything we want right now. One of the themes of our time is that little Latin phrase, carpe diem, seize the day. And so often, what we're told all the time is, live for the moment, seize the day, grab what you can now. Now, you can kind of understand why it is that our culture thinks that. Because if this life is all there is, then of course you need to grab everything you can. Of course you want to fill your bucket list. You want to do everything you can to grab the moment, live for the moment as much as you possibly can. You want to get every experience, every holiday, every gadget, everything you could possibly get because time is short. You need to fill your bucket list because your bucket will soon be empty. Now the story the Bible tells us is really very different from that. It tells us the story of waiting. The Old Testament is a story of the promise of God that one day he would send his saviour, but the people of Israel had to wait for it. It's that text in the book of Habakkuk, for the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end, but will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it, for it will certainly come and will not delay. That's the Old Testament, but the New Testament gives us this promise again and again that just as God fulfilled his promise to Israel by bringing Jesus in exactly the same way he will fulfill his promise to come again and bring about a new heaven and a new earth that even if we can't imagine it it will one day come but until then we wait and we wait with contentment in other words we don't have to get everything now you don't have to own everything. You don't have to visit every country in the world. You don't have to grab all you can in every single moment. And if you're a Christian, you shouldn't worry if you don't get all you want, if you're not satisfied right now. FOMO, fear of missing out, that's not a Christian thing. Because we know we will not miss out. We will be given everything. We have been given everything in Christ and we will find everything in that new heavens and that new earth. And so therefore, if we miss out on stuff in this life, that's all right. We are not driven by a relentless demand to consume everything, to own everything, to buy everything, to have everything. We can wait with contentment, knowing that the dawn will one day come, even if it means waiting. But the second thing that we learn from this is not just waiting contentedly, but we learn to live boldly. Waiting can sound a little bit passive, you know, when you're waiting for a bus and just twiddling your thumbs, waiting for it to come along. 
or you're in a doctor's waiting room waiting for your turn, it can feel like you're just sort of waiting and not doing very much. But again, our passage here in 1 Thessalonians urges us to do a bit more than that. It says this, it says, you are all children of the light and the children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then, don't be like the others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. So again, he uses this same image of the the night and the day and he says the day is coming one day the world will be flooded with the light of Christ the righteousness and goodness and joy and peace and justice of God and that is where we belong we are children of the day not of the night but we live in the middle of the night in fact most of the time in our lives it feels like the middle of the night It feels like three o'clock in the morning where there is so much darkness and so much pain and so much injustice and so much poverty around. And so what does he say we do? Well, don't do what everyone does in the night. Sleep, get drunk, just don't bother about stuff. But you are children of the day. Do the things of the day in the middle of the night. And what are those things? Well, he says this, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. So there's that three things, which is so often we find in the New Testament. Faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. That's what you do. Those are the things that belong in the day. So you exercise faith and hope and love now. And what it means is that every time we do exercise faith, hope, and love, those things have a much greater meaning than might be apparent so every time you exercise faith when you decide not to worry but rather to pray about your work or your kids or your exams or whatever it is that you're anxious about and you're determined to say I'm not going to worry about these things but I'm going to pray and I'm going to trust God for these things every time you do that that's a sign of the day that is coming Every time you exercise love, when you hear of a friend who is short of cash, really struggling, and you kind of dip into your own savings and get some money together and you maybe drop an envelope through their door just as a simple act of love, that's more than just a nice little act that you do somewhere. It's a sign of the day that it's coming. Every time we exercise hope, whenever you plant a tree or a bulb or you recycle your waste because you know this is God's good world and one day he he will renew it that is more than just a little bit of recycling it's a sign of the day that is coming every time we see an answer to prayer that's significant not just because it's something nice that happens to someone but it's a sign of what's coming Every time we pray for someone and they experience healing of body or mind or spirit, that's not just nice for them. It's a sign of the day when the whole world will be full of God's healing. It's like when I was a a child, we would always go on holiday to, um, to Ireland, which is where my family is from. And I can still remember driving across sort of England and then across Wales. And as you got kind of nearer and nearer, uh, you kind of saw signs of what was coming. You would begin to hear people speaking with Irish accents or you'd see signs on the road telling you about things on the other side and hotels that were there in, in Ireland. When you're on the boat, you saw maps of the country that was coming. You'd see adverts. and you'd, As you got near to the, to the, uh, to the land of, uh, the, the, in, in Ireland, you'd, you'd smell on the, on the, the air the kind of terror fires that were coming in your di- direction. 
And then finally, one day, you would land and you knew you were there. And it's a little bit like that for us, that each of these things that we do, every act of faith and hope of love is a sign of what's coming in the future. And that is what Christian behavior is about. We're not just trying to be good. Christian actions are not just moral good actions. They are signs, signs of the day that is coming. It's a bit like striking a match in the dark. And that's what we are called to do as Christian people. That our lives are meant to be signs that point to something. So last thing before we close. How do we keep this hope alive? Our reading says this. He died for us. So that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. We Christians are people who are waiting for something. We are waiting for something that is going to be far better than we could ever imagine. But it's hard to hold on to that hope in the middle of a troubled world. It can be hard to believe in the light when you're surrounded by the darkness. And yet we have this message that our destiny is to live together with Christ. And our responsibility is not just to hold on to that for ourselves, but to, as it says, encourage one another. And there's something about resolving to encourage other people that kind of builds that hope within yourself. We've, uh, since we came back to Oxford, we've uh, joined a connect group here at St. Aldate's. And uh, we have a little WhatsApp group on it. And every now and again, someone sends a little message with a verse of scripture. And that says, whenever I tell them I read that, and I kind of know the person who sent it, it says to me, yeah, yeah, okay, this is real. This is true. This is something I believe. This is something that's coming. And just that little action of finding a group of other Christians that you take responsibility to encourage them and they encourage you. That can be one of the key ways of keeping that hope alive amongst ourselves. So can I encourage you, if you don't have a group like that, find it. It may be a connect group here at St. Aldate's. It may be some other group of people. But take that responsibility to keep hope alive. Not just in yourself, but in others as well. Encourage one another. Build each other up, just as in fact you were doing. So when you get home today, or maybe tomorrow morning, whenever you do it, when you open your Advent calendar door, when you light your Advent candle for the next little bit, remember that you are a person who is waiting. You're waiting for something that is far greater than you could ever imagine. It is going to be so much better than anything you've experienced within this world. That the little experiences of joy we have here and now are just foretastes of something far, far greater. And we may have to wait. It may still be three o'clock in the morning and there's quite a lot of time to wait until the day will be flooded. But it will come. It will come. So let's pray as we finish. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your promise that you will come again, that you will bring about a new heaven and a new earth. And we trust that promise. 
And at this time of Advent, we pray that you will teach us to wait with contentment, but yet to live boldly as signs of that day that is coming. And so, Father, we long for that day when there will be no more pain, there will be no more tragedy, there will be no more despair. But we long for that day when the glory of God will fill the earth. Amen.